Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am, well, welcome back to the Planet Comedy Podcast, a conversation comedy podcast about having interesting conversations with interesting people on interesting topics. Usually we're with you uh, every Tuesday, but we are late this week. I had a birthday. I had my my beautiful fiance son's birthdays. We had, uh, had a lot going on this week, so we're coming to you live on a Thursday evening, on a thirsty Thursday. Comes the Planet Comedy Podcast. I am Kyle Ritchie, your host, uh, nerd, interviewer, stand-up comedian, content creator, editor, owner-operator, creator of Planet Comedy Productions and the Planet Comedy Podcast. And, you know, welcome back. It's been a long week for me. I've been playing a lot of Hogwarts Legacy, which surprises me because I'm not a big Harry Potter guy. But we'll jump into what happened last week. We'll just jump right into the news. President Joe Biden... He's looking for some new gun background checks using an executive order. He's looking to penalize single vendors of guns. Not like, you know, big shops or meats or anything like that. People who sell guns to each other. Uh, they're trying to catch people without selling guns without background checks. Force all gun sellers to run a background check of the purchaser. Obviously, there's a lot of debate over this topic. I'm not going to get into a lot of it. I just wanted to inform you guys what was going on because, you know, fuck that. I'm being real honest with you. Uh, I'm so tired of debating politics. I'm so tired of talking about all this. I'm so tired. It's all the time now. It's constantly. Everyone is just mad all the time about everything. Maybe it's always been this way and I didn't realize it. But you know what? didn't feel like it was always this way. I just want you all to stop now. Oh. Uh, conservative speaker Charlie Kirk was going to speak at UC Davis. Antifa showed up, and it went about how you'd expect. The riot police arrived, arrests were made, and it's, you know, we, it feels like we were just in a constant loop of 2016. That's really when this all started. When people started, like, pushing for Trump, and we had the, like, Charlie Kirk's, the Ben Shapiro's, and all, you know, all those guys appeared. We had... All these people come out of the woodwork to, like, protest their speeches and their talks and all that stuff. And I'm going to be honest, I think it had the opposite effect. I think it made them more popular. I think the ability, giving these guys, the Charlie Kirks of the world, the Ben Shapiros of the world, the Alex Joneses of the world, the ability to say, they don't want me to speak, makes them feel... Like, they're dangerous. It makes them feel like they're somehow, you know, right. I think that's, at least it's the vibe it gives off. I think that uh, makes people, you know, believe in a sense that they're being shut down for a reason. And I think when you silence people, it only gives them that ability. It doesn't, it doesn't take away from the things they say. It doesn't make people believe them any less. It doesn't really discredit them to silence them. Discrediting someone is when you are able to make points against them. When you are able to, you know, have someone from the opposite side speak against them and discredit all of their views. Silencing them is not how you do it. And it's been proven ever since they tried to do this. Every time... Something like this has happened and has gone the opposite way. More people have ended up funneling down the conservative pipeline. So I just don't understand. Like, first off, it's not even a right-wing, left-wing thing. Right-wingers shut down speech all the time, too. I'm more saying, like, shutting down free speech. 
is never. Oh my god! Uh, can't get the yawns to stop. But it's, it's shutting down free speech is never the way to go. It's never, in my opinion, the correct move because I just don't think it works. First off, I don't think shutting down free speech has the effect that people think it has. Like, even bad free speech, even slurs, even hate speech, I believe should be, not be censored. Because it just, first off, it puts all these people in an echo chamber where they never have any chance to get any ulterior information. And also, it is a situation where, like I said, these people gain this sense of almost notoriety. That's what I'm, the word I've been looking for. Notoriety in the sense that they're, they're almost like it gives them this feeling that they are somehow persecuted. That they are somehow, you know, like bad boys. Like going against the system. When a lot of these dudes, like especially like someone like Charlie Kirk, he's a fucking dork. Like Charlie K Kirk is just a nerd who likes to talk about conservative politics. But he gets to parade around on social media and talk about how much of a fucking, you know, anti-counterculture, anti-woke warrior he is. Because everybody shows up and acts like this at his fucking speeches. And I just, to me, this is the ultimate shooting yourself in the foot moment for these people. Is to try to silence the, like people like Charlie Kirk instead of doing what I'm doing and saying... Yeah, this guy's a fucking nerd. Like, I don't know. And I'm sure Charlie Kirk does say a lot of really heinous shit at times. But Charlie Kirk has every once in a while had moments of self-reflection. And I think people like Charlie Kirk could probably be turned into not entirely crazy people. Oh, what's happening? I'm not tired. My body's trying to shut down. My body's trying to shut me down. And I'm just not ready for it. But yeah, I just don't think this is the way to go. I think we need to have people... Just allow these people to speak. I, I, mostly because the more you let them speak, the more they kind of eventually hang themselves. People like Charlie Carr, people like Ben Shapiro, people like Dave Rubin, all eventually say something stupid or offensive or awful that makes you realize, like, oh, these people are terrible. Speaking of terrible people, Mark Zuckerberg is laying off 10,000 Meta employees. It's a cost-cutting effect. It's a cost-cutting strategy, first things first. Uh, Meta, the company, is struggling recently. Meta is, uh, I believe, Zuckerberg's new company ever since he decided to, you know, change it up over there at Facebook. Sorry, I'm adjusting some audio levels here so you guys can hear me a little better. But yeah. That may be a little too loud for you. We're working on them together, ladies and gentlemen. It's just me and you. Once again tonight. But yeah, uh, Mark. Oh, Marky Mark. <laughs> Not that Marky Mark. Yeah, he his company, his new company, Meta, is struggling. They're trying to obviously create that virtual reality world that is going to, we all believe, replace Facebook one day. And it's going to be terrifying. Yes, I know, I haven't mentioned it yet. There's a Darth Vader helmet sitting next to me. And uh, my lovely fiance got this for me for my birthday. 
for those who can't see it, for those who are just listening, it is a full, like, movie recreation of the helmet. And it is the, it's pretty badass. It's a pretty badass thing to own, along with the old lightsaber. So, but anyway, carrying on here. Uh, the Zuck firing people. Meta has been struggling. They're trying to rebound. This is a cost-cutting maneuver, and a lot of people believe that this is signs of things to come. Maybe maybe this is the beginning of the end for the old Zuck, but somehow I doubt it. I think he'll turn around. They'll be fine. Moving on to some more fun topics. The Chicago Bears have traded the number one overall pick to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Bears received, let me look it up exactly, but a whole bunch of picks. The shocking thing for me is they got a Carolina wide receiver, DJ Moore. And that dude is a ba 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 baller. So it was a great move by general manager Ryan Poles and the Chicago Bears, which is not something you get to say often about the Bears because they do a lot of stupid stuff. But good for Chicago. I'm trying to find the exact details of this trade with you guys so you can know where I am. Okay. Two first round picks at least. They are getting the ninth overall pick, a second round selection, a first round pick next year, a second round pick next year, a second round pick the year after, and DJ Moore. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's a whole, whole lot to get from a, from a Panthers team who probably is going to draft a quarterback. And there are only three quarterbacks really available. There's Bryce Young, who's super short, and who is who I'm rooting for, because we root for the Short Kings on this podcast. Uh, there's C.J. Stroud, who is the probably the most pro-ready, is the most pro-looking. I'm trying to fix his headband. Then there is Anthony Richardson, who is the most exciting. And is the one that is the freak athlete of the three. He can run really fast. He can throw really far. It'll be interesting. But I think they're probably picking the dude from Ohio State. They're probably picking CJ. But you never know. We'll see. We'll see. Who do you guys want to pick? Cold Sands out there. I know there's lots of you. Me being based here in Indiana. There's lots of you out there. Who's who? Who is Carolina picking first? I know lots of Carolina fans too. I'm from South Carolina, so Carolina fans, who, who are you guys getting? And it puts all my friends who are Colts fans in a bad position. Because who are you guys getting now? We'll never know. The world may never know. Huge trade. But speaking of quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, currently. I uh, went on the Pat McAfee show, also based right here in Indiana, and kind of expressed his desires. Well, not even kind of, he did. So, for those who don't know, Aaron Rodgers went into what's called a darkness retreat, which is where you have no lights, you go underground, so there's no sound, and you just sit you just live in the dark for like 
days. I mean, he went for, what he said, five days and four nights, which is the wildest shit ever. I mean, this is the man who did ayahuasca last year to decide whether or not to continue playing professional football. So we're dealing with a wild individual here. We're dealing with a, we're dealing with a guy who's out there. You know, who's... Uh, Who's dealing with the, you know, a guy who's, uh, let's say, how do I say it? A little out of the ordinary, a little out of the, a little against the grain, if you will. There we go. He's that's what that's what Aaron Rodgers is. He's against the grain, and. He has decided that he, he he went into it and he said he was 90% retiring, which is crazy to me because he would be walking away from $60 million. And walking away from $60 million just doesn't seem like something you would do as a rational human being, even if you have to go play more football. But he said he was 90% retiring, which I'm not sure I 100% believe. So he went into the darkness retreat. He came out and decided that he was going to play. But the Packers, the Green Bay Packers, the team he's been playing with for 16 seasons, was like, nah, we're good, dude. And you know what? I guess that's kind of fair. And instead, they, he is going to now be traded to the New York Jets. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but he announced on the McAfee show that he intends to play for the New York Jets. They're just trying to work out a trade with the Packers. And so that means the Packers and the Jets are like... Two lawyers trying to argue, trying to hammer out a divorce. Basically, the Packers are going to want as much as possible because Aaron's awesome, and the Jets are like, "Yeah, he's awesome, but he's old, and he may not be as good anymore, and we don't want to give you a lot." So this will be an interesting thing to watch if you're in the sports world for the next couple days, weeks, and months. Uh, is the Aaron Rodgers saga, and, and what does what does Green Bay get? What uh, what does New York give up, and, and how does this thing play out? This is the second Packers quarterback to go to the New York Jets, which is... I mean, it hasn't happened a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. And uh, moving on to what I've been doing these past couple weeks intensely, playing Hogwarts Legacy, a Harry Potter video game that came out about a month ago. Now, my fiance decided to get a PlayStation 5 because she desired to play it. And it turns out I've been the one playing it. And I have to say, it's alright. It is an alright video game. Now there's a lot of controversy around this video game because um, J.K. Rowling is a pretty openly not a good person. <laughs> yeah, For those who don't know, for those who are big Harry Potter fans but don't know about what, what J.K. Rowling's personal demons are... She's very much a, she's very much like a wine mom from the from the like 70s. In the sense that she's not a big fan truthfully of the gays and she's not a big fan of trans people. Now, I I am pretty open about my stance to trans people, which is I am very accepting of anything. Do I think there are some issues that are a bit on the ridiculous side. Yes, yes, I do. But it's not... I don't think that these people are, you know, lesser beings. I think, you know, humans are humans. Life is hard. Do what makes you happy and do what makes you feel good. As long as it's not affecting anyone else, 
or you know preventing anyone else from doing what they want to you know do with their lives I don't see a problem with it however this is one of the things that I feel like is kind of a weird issue to be angry about first off Hogwarts Legacy was always going to be a popular video game, boycott or no boycott, because it's a video game, an open world video game, based in a gigantic fantasy universe. Those typically do pretty well. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever studied consumerism, or, could, you know, looked at how people buy things, but as a Star Wars fan, I hate to tell you, I'm probably going to buy, watch, or at least interact with anything Star Wars related. If it came out tomorrow that George Lucas was a horrible racist, I would be like, damn, that sucks. When is the next episode of The Mandalorian? Because you know what? People value fun over... People just value fun over politics. They always will. People will always value their entertainment over politics. First off, there's not anything... Like, people always say there's no way to separate Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. I, I get that. And there are some questionable things in, in Harry Potter. Like, there's always the thing about the goblins. I'm not saying Harry Potter is a perfect piece of media, I'm just saying it's a piece of media. It's a piece of entertainment media. And it was written, it happened to be written by a, a, an old lady, an older lady who may who has, you know, outdated opinions on homosexuals and trans people. Yeah. That, I don't understand why that's a big deal. I don't understand why that has to affect people. So, now, her donating money to anti-gay activism and anti-trans, like, that I get. But here's the thing. She wrote the book. You can't take away her royalties. You can't, you know what I mean? There's just such a dangerous slope to go down that because someone is awful that we have to figure out, we have to boycott their stuff. Well, hold on. First off, people, boycotts don't work anymore. That's not real. That was what was asked for by the trans community. It was some in the trans community, let me rephrase, was a boycott of Hogwarts Legacy. And I'm just like, boycotts aren't real anymore. You have international marketing now. You have international sales. Like, that's not a real thing. That only works at the local level. You can only really boycott something if it is something that you... You know what I mean? If it's something that the local community can all get together and decide not to buy and will actually affect whoever owns the business, that's the only thing that works. and That's the only kind of boycotting that works. This thing, like, where people, like, a couple years ago, people boycotted Goya beans. Or were going to, because fucking Donald Trump was, you know, talking about them or something. You know, I mean, he was involved with them in some way, shape, or form. You can't boycott fucking Goya beans. They are internationally traded. And it's the same thing. If not, it's not even the same thing. It's way worse with a giant video game based on one of the most popular media properties on the planet. Okay? People love Harry Potter. Love it. People fucking live for it. My fiance being one of them. Her ringtone is the Harry Potter theme song. 
Okay, and I understand that. I'm not yelling at her, I'm not complaining, because here, this is my ringtone. Okay? People love what they love, and they are willing to look past a lot of shit. Just because people want to take things from either their childhood or their entertainment mediums, and enjoy them free of the politics surrounding either the people who made them, or the, you know, the underlying tones. And I say that as one of the most pretentious movie watchers on earth. Some people just want to like things, and that's fine. Now, my review of the actual video game, because here's the thing, the, the bull boycott and controversy thing made this video game even way more popular than it was already going to be. And now people are, you know, playing it and reviewing it out of spite and giving it, being like, oh, it's the greatest game ever. You know, it, you guys know how it is. A group of people is like, oh, you shouldn't play this game because it makes you transphobic. And then there's another group of people who are like, I'm going to play the game because you think it makes me transphobic. I don't even like Harry Potter. And so now the, the commentary on the actual video game is muddy. It's all right. It's an all right video game. It's very fun. Like, I won't lie to you guys. Don't get me wrong, some of the missions are very tedious and some of the platforming in it is questionable. Also, maybe I'm just a little dumb at times. Maybe a little, but still. The platforming is very simple and kind of tedious and the, the combat gets a little redundant after a while. But the movement and, like, the, all this stuff you can go do is super cool. Like, there's so much shit to do. And that's why you get lost playing that game. Is because there's just so many missions and so many side missions and so many enemies and so many side bosses. And so much, like, I forgot about the main plot pretty much the whole time I've been playing this video game. I'm, I'm not deep into the main plot of this game at all. I have no idea what's happening. I, have, I, don't, I don't care. There's so much else going on that I am just completely satisfied with my side quests. And I have to say, that is a chef's kiss version of a video game. I don't have a review for it yet, but I maybe I will. Maybe I will review it. The Oscars happened. I did not really pay attention. I know Jamie Lee Curtis won, which is a shock to people. I mean, people were big mad on Twitter. People were big mad there. Michael B. Jordan said something because I think everyone thought um, God, Angela Bassett was going to win. She did not. It was Sandra Bullock. Ah, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. But Jamie Lee Curtis won an Oscar. Brendan Fraser was a big shock of the night though. Brendan Fraser, our boy, my boy, your boy, Jerry O'Connell, uh, won himself the Best Actor Oscar for his movie, The Whale. I haven't seen it, so I can't really judge if it's a good movie or not. But I would assume it's a great performance. Uh, it does feel a little like Hollywood's giving Brendan this Oscar because they're like, sorry, someone tried to sexually assault you. Here's this pretty trophy. Please stop talking shit about us type of thing. But we're happy to see, we're happy to see a chubby king because he is. He's, he's a chubby fellow now, and I love it. I lo I'm not disrespecting Brendan Fraser at all as a fellow chubby man. Kill it, Brendan. But I, we, we love to see a man succeeding. Uh, but the Oscars happened. They were 
pretty decent, actually, I guess. What I've heard is that there was pretty decent viewing. I haven't watched an Oscars in for, forever. I still don't watch the Oscars. It's just, it feels like such a weird award show. It feels like a lot of actors giving other actors awards, and that's just strange to me. But anyway, um, who won the Best Actress Award? I can't remember what her name is, but every, uh, Everything Everywhere All the Time. Ooh, I can't. Let me, let me look up these awards. I keep forgetting I have Google available to me while I sit here with you guys. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Look at me. The one Best Picture. Best Actor was Brandon Fraser, as I mentioned. Best Actress was Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Who cares about Best Original Song? Best Supporting Actor was Ki Hoo Kwan. Everything Everywhere All at Once, who, for those who don't know, was Short Round in um, Indiana Jones. Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, won Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, Daniel Kwan, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Everything Everywhere All at Once basically swept, uh, giving itself essentially, like, the best ever, and putting itself really into, like, the conversations for most successful movies ever. It won a lot of Oscars. I mean, a lot of them. <laughs> a whole lot. And it should have, because it was a it was a great movie. And, um, I haven't seen Everything Everywhere all at once yet. But I've heard from pretty much anyone I trust who watches movies the same way I do that it's awesome. But again, with all these victories, I mean, it racked in the awards, it's going to be remembered as one of the most successful critically acclaimed films ever. And I think the further away from it we get, we will remember Everything Everywhere All at Once is one of the greatest movies ever, but also we will think about Brendan Fraser winning over Austin Butler Austin Butler, for all those who don't know, played Elvis in the new Elvis movie. Um, do Elvis in the new Elvis movie. Yeah, I would say... And he did a great job, and usually the, the Academy has a hard-on for bio flicks like that, but he did not win and said Brandon Fraser won. I, I would say this is going to be remembered as one of those Oscars where a lot of unexpected people won for once, and that's kind of refreshing. Yeah. And finally, people are mad at Penn Bagley. Uh, former Dan Humphrey, now Joe Goldberg. Because he recently got married. I don't know if it was recent, but he got he's married. He's a married man. And he asked for less super graphic sex scenes on his Netflix thriller, You, as the aforementioned Joe Goldberg. And women, not just women, women, men, anyone who watch, there are people who go watch the show who are, contingent of people who watch the show who are upset with him, 
uh, for asking for this, for essentially being like, I would like to do, you know, I would like to do less of these really graphic, nasty sex scenes because I'm a married man and it kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. And people are kind of upset with him for feeling this way because they're like, oh, it's just acting. So you're supposed to, you know what I mean, don't agree to do it if you're not going to follow the role all the way through. First off, I love this. Maybe I'm, you know, what you would call a, a simp, if you will. But I kind of love the idea of an actor being like, hey, I would like to not simulate having toward marital affairs. So if it's at all possible, you know, it's not, first off, it's not like the show doesn't have sex scenes. Joe does still, the character still has sex. The character of Joe still has sex with women in the fourth season. It just cuts away before, you know, things get incredibly graphic like they have in previous seasons of the show. Because in previous seasons of the show, you have seen him full-on getting it on screen. And that wasn't as prevalent in this season. It really wasn't prevalent at all. They would cover, they would usually cut away before even when anyone even took off any items of clothing. And, again, people are mad at him because, I mean, they say it's acting, but in reality, people are just... I'm being the horny police right now, and I'm corralling you all back. <laughs> I am horny policing you. That's what I'm doing. Get back. Get back in. Spray water. Water bottle. Stop it. Stop it right now. Listen. I understand that sex sells. And I understand that a tinge of spicy sex in a TV show slash movie is good. However... I have an argument here. Not only am I completely on Ben's side, Penn's side, because I, as an engaged, faithful man, understand where he's coming from in the sense of, like, hey, I would like for, you know, women not to ride me pantsless this season. But also, I think we have reached a point in this kind of post... I don't want to blame completely Fifty Shades of Grey, but post Fifty Shades of Grey, post... Uh... And I am just Fifty Shades of Grey, like post Magic Mike, post those type of movies. After all that stuff, and I'm just not just talking about for men, for women, but for men, like you know the low cut tops and Scooby Doo and shit like that. Post all this, and in a lot of ways Hollywood's always been this way. But these super graphic sex scenes that we see in movies and television have become too common. Like, we are too used to it in our television and in our movies. And I think it's ruined the meaning of them. Because to me, a, a super graphic sex scene was always... The, that To me, that meant the sex, or the relationship where the sex was being had. That's an important part of the story. That the sex itself is, is a basis of the storyline. And in a show like you, it's not. Like, the sex is part of it, but it is not a thunderous part of it. Whereas, like, a movie like Fifty Shades of Grey, the whole point of the movie is the sex. So I would understand that that movie has very graphic, very, you know, how do I even phrase it, very personal sex scenes. However, a show like you, I don't need it. I don't need to see Joe 
who is a stalker slash serial killer banging these girls to understand that he sleeps with them. I mean, the you know, it, it's very simple in shows where sex is not the main objective of the story to, sh to indicate that two characters had sex without them even taking their clothes completely off. I, and to me, I think people are so accustomed to the vulgarity of the sex scenes that we now receive that, and, and I partially think it's due to streaming services because with stream, on streaming services you can get away with so much more than you ever were able to before. And I, I do understand a sense of realism in the sense that, like, we didn't, you know, you don't get to see a lot of sex on cable TV. You don't get to see a lot of sex on, you know, unless you're watching HBO, even digital TV. But, like, these streaming services, Hulu, Netflix, like, Netflix has a show, that Sex Life show, and my fiancé watches that. That also has some very graphic sex scenes, but another but part of the, I'm okay with that, and that's the big difference here, is part of that show's storyline is the sex, is this woman's sex life. And so it makes sense for there to be very graphic, vulgar sex scenes. Whereas, in shows like you, in shows like, let's say, like, something like The Punisher or something like Daredevil, shows where it's clear characters are having sex, but they're not having these terribly graphic sex scenes where they're, you know, like, you get to see everything. I, I'm fine with that. I really am. I, I think these graphic scenes should be used in a more artistic way. Because, again, these are movies. Like, if you, di if you are just... And, again, here's me being the horny police. If you are just horny... We, porn exists. That's a real thing. And not only that, they have high-quality porn. Like, you can watch porn that is recorded with the quality, like, the film quality of small movies. Now, you're not going to get good acting quality, but, again, the beggars can't be choosers here. However, I guess I understand that, you know, some people want to watch a well-acted porn. But to me, I think these graphic, vulgar sex scenes in movies would have more meaning if more of them, if we saw less of them. If, if less of these kind of scenes were in TV shows. Not that I'm saying I'm complaining about them. I'm not clutching my pearls here. Trust me, I'm a video game player. I have heard nothing but people clutching their pearls about video, violent video games for years. Violent and sexy video games. I have no problem with graphic sex scenes. I'm just saying, I don't think it's fair when someone asks to do less of them for us to get upset because we've become so accustomed to it. Because it's become so common. Alright, leave Penn Bagley alone. Alright, he just wants to... He just wants to be a good boy! He just wants to be a good husband! Leave him alone! Alright, alright. Anyway, we're gonna move on to our main topic here. Our main... Topic of the week. Uh, so, a great adaptation just went off the air with its first season. The Last of Us. For so those who don't know what The Last of Us is, it is a zombie-slash-apocalyptic-thriller television show based on a 2013 video game made by Naughty Dog Productions for the PlayStation 3. It was... It's the same name. Troy Baker. It's 
Ashley Johnson gives some great voice casting performances in one of the best video games, in my opinion, ever made. The show, the movie, and the game and the show are about the same thing. It's about this girl who it turns out is immune and her journey across the country to get to a hospital with this guy named Joel who is socially shut off, who is emotionally cut off from the world for reasons that are explained at the very beginning of the game. And slowly throughout the course of this journey, they build a, you know, a very father-daughter relationship. And at the end of the story, I don't want to give anything away for anyone who hasn't played or hasn't seen the show, at the end you were basically given a horrible moral decision. And I was scared when they said they were going to adapt this because video game adaptions, first off, have been awful. The Halo show is an affront to God. <laughs> so I was worried something like that was going to happen. Um... I was worried something like that was going to happen. I was worried... Sorry, my fiancé just sent me something about how if you die with contacts and they just leave them in, which is terrifying. But, <laughs> yeah, I was worried something like the Halo was going to happen to The Last of Us, and it didn't. It was a beautiful adaptation. It was a probably the best video game adaptation I've ever seen. It got me thinking, what makes a good adaptation? Like, let's think about it here. Most film and television you've ever seen is adapted from something else, whether it's like a book, a video game, a play, something like that. It's, most movies or television shows you see aren't original concepts. They are adapted work from something someone else has made somewhere along the line. You may notice an uptick in the audio quality, and not only in the audio quality, but an uptick in my aggravation because I'm so tired of Reaper, I'm gonna start calling you out Every time you do this, you bastards, uh, ruining my audio. So I'm going to have to check that literally every show, it seems, because apparently, um, you know, audio app that costs $75 cannot be trusted to simply record good audio input. But whatever. Anyway, we're back to what I was saying. Most things that you enjoy have been adapted from something else, like a book or a play. And uh, most adaptations have struggled to be seen as successful in the eyes of, like, the original fan bases that made them popular. And I, you know, there are a lot of different reasons why that is. There's different reasons why people complain about things. Like, you know, sometimes it's not how they picture it in their head, which I think is an unrealistic standard. Nothing is going to live up to the way you picture it inside your head. But, uh... You know, there's thousands of reasons, studio interference. There's there's millions of reasons why adaptations of things that we love don't match up to the way we, we see them when they're first announced. Like, I can imagine, you know, the first bit of excitement. The, the first time something's announced and you feel that tinge of excitement, like when, you know, the Harry Potter movies are coming out or... I don't know, I'm trying to think of the last big adaptation, like the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. I, I don't think it ever matches exactly what we saw when we read the book, when we played the game, or when we you know saw the play, or whatever it was that this work of art came from. And I, I wonder what makes adapting something else from someone else so hard. 
is it just is it simply just the fact that you know with not having the original creator and not having the original kind of you know basis and thought process behind the creation of this you know that's what that's one thing a lot of like if you look at these adaptations one thing a lot of them that aren't successful that you notice have in common is they don't have a lot to do like the person who originally created it the person who originally came up with the idea the person who originally came up with whatever the concept is the fur they're usually not involved in in whatever way if there is you know a bad adaptation usually they're not involved now that's not always true sometimes the person who created it is involved and it still sucks but it does it usually if someone when someone isn't involved completely in the filmmaking who had the original idea it, it usually leads to an upset in the fan base because it starts to feel less and less like the original work however one of my favorite examples of that not being true is george lucas um george lucas was great in the first three star wars movies but he had the you know a great concept he came up with the whole thing and it, it's such an incredible universe that he was just able to concoct that i think i love so much and i respect that so much he was an incredible world builder an incredible universe establisher but his dialogue and his character work are rough and he got a lot of help in those first three movies and it it really shows because the actors themselves even admit besides that he got a lot of help from the actors because the actors were charismatic enough it's fall. oh no the actors were charismatic enough to just carry a lot of what i would consider not great dialogue and because of that i think george was able to kind of establish not only that because they were so immensely successful the star wars movies he established himself as such a a studio slash industry standard that he became above even what like he couldn't be questioned anymore so when he made those prequel movies finally in the 2000s they suffered from him being completely unedited his uh, i think that was george lucas's unedited star wars and i think in a lot of ways we saw that george is great at basically you hire other people when you're filmmaking to hide your flaws and not only that they help bridge the gap from one medium to another usually now the interesting thing about star wars is it was it is an original concept it was brought to film by george lucas for the purpose of being a movie and what's fascinating to me about all this or about that is that you know when that's not even an adaptation it's just an original concept so what's interesting is like adaptations like one of the things i find hard that must be hard is if you wrote a book trying to get your vision to come to life on the screen must be difficult because the transition medium from book to screen is so difficult to go from written words on a page to what you were seeing play out in a visual world is so hard and i think it's one of the few times that i think an author would really struggle on a movie set is because it's hard for an author to i think understand that parts of the book have to be cut out for time's sake in a movie or a tv show and parts you know parts of the book you know 
have to be strong. You you have to almost fine tooth comb an author's work. And I'm sure it's hard as an author to listen to people do that when you have such a probably a distinct creative vision. And so I think that's those are several reasons why it's so hard to adapt someone's work. Like what are the key mistakes someone like? So like is being too loyal to the source material is that a bad thing? And and that's where we'll start because I think that's the biggest problem a lot of people have with adaptations of their favorite stuff is that it's not loyal enough to the source material. So and I, and I do think um, there can be too much loyalty to the source material. Like some source materials are good concepts and are good books or TV shows or plays but have to be switched around and kind of toyed with to work on a television screen or on a big screen. And, and I think there are too many times that they aren't, that they are just transitioned right away that they are transitioned one from one or attempted to be transitioned one from one onto the screen. And there are some things where that doesn't work. Like I don't think at like a like a show, I like get a live action show about like something like attack on Titan would work because I just don't think it's a one to one, a live action. Like I don't think it's something you could take. I've read about the concept and I, I've never seen the show cause I don't watch anime cause I'm not a weeb, but I've read enough about the show and watched enough creators talk about it that I would say it is something that a one-to-one translation would be very difficult. You would have to almost make some tweaks. You would have to almost make some changes. And it's uh, it's a similar thing like, like with The Walking Dead. It's not a one-to-one. It's very loyal to the source material, but it's not a one-to-one adaptation. I just think it's... I think it's so hard, one, to do a one-to-one adaptation because if there are no changes, if there are no surprises, then what's the purpose of watching it, kind of, is what I want to say. You know what I mean? Like, what is the purpose of paying attention to this thing if it is um, going to go exactly the same way that you knew it was going to go at first. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's it's hard to explain how I feel about that. Like it's hard to explain my position on being loyal to source material because I, I think it's so important. I think to I think when you are adapting a story first things first, it is important Adapting a story of any kind from a video game, from a movie, or from, sorry, from a movie, from a book, from a play, the most important thing is to get the story beats right. That's what you have to adapt, is the the beats of the story and the way it makes people feel. The emotions the story is aiming to make people feel is what you are trying to get to translate on the screen. How you get there is the big question, because complete loyalty i do think gives a sense of melancholy in the sense that people know what's happening especially if you are obsessive over it like i played the last of us five six times and i knew a lot if not all of what was coming in the first season of the show but the minute changes they made to the characters and to some of the situations were good enough that it made me 
intrigued to tune in every week, despite the fact that most weeks I kind of knew what was coming and I could figure out where I was based on my experience with the game. And I would assume it was the same thing with people for the Harry Potter movies. Like not only that, and you know, besides the fact that you're seeing something that you love so much be brought to life on a, a wide scale, but it's, I think there's something so satisfying about seeing what a filmmaker or what a director or a writer can put into your, you know, can add to your favorite fantasy franchise or your favorite book series or your favorite play to make it that much sweeter. And and that's what I was going to say, you know, is making your a property your own, is that the move? Yes and no, because the there is a a fine line between adding your own ingredients to something and then completely changing the recipe completely and making it something that people don't already enjoy. Like if you're making a cheeseburger, you're not going to, you know, add paprika to it because then it's not a cheeseburger, you know? There are tenets of when a, you're adapting a story because there's a foundation laid. There's an expectation of what your movie or show is going to be about. And I think you have to honor that. And if you're not willing to honor that, you can't sign up to make these. But there is a factor of making this stuff your own. There is a factor of putting your own special spice in there. Like the one I always point to is the third Harry Potter movie, which is my favorite movie. My favorite movie in the Harry Potter series, and it's because I think the the cinematography and the tone of the film is so different from the other ones, and I think that is the true. I that is an example of a filmmaker putting their stamp because it's it's a theme, it's a feeling, it's an a, an aura that the movie gives you that makes me feel like it's like reading one of the books, and to me that's interesting and that's fun, and it was dark and creepy and uh, that is what i'm talking about when you try to make something your own because you get credit for stuff like that when you are able to so seamlessly get a tone and transition a a feeling out of a film that's where you're making something your own while staying loyal to the source material staying loyal to the stuff that brought the people to your doorstep so it's somewhere in between you have to shoot for the middle and that's what makes the perfect adaptations is is where you shoot somewhere in the middle where you get there you know you have your own set of uh, of you have your own thing you have your own set of elements and you know maybe it's dialogue maybe it's cinematography but you have your own element your own added ingredient to this already great recipe that takes it up to another level and that's what makes something truly great that's what makes an adaptation whether it be of like a book like the hunger games or you know a play like hairspray you know it's not it's something that is thrown in that adds a little spice to it that adds just enough that makes it just a little bit different than what you were expecting but in the best ways possible now uh doesn't matter what you're adapting like does it matter if you're adapt like are some things harder to adapt than others and i would say yes i would say 
one of the harder things to adapt into film are books. Because typically, in a book, you can really take your time with the story. You can really explore every nook, every cranny, every possible situation that could play out in a book because you have so much time and investment and you, you you know, I mean, you are presenting such a a very well thought out story usually that it's there's very few holes in a book. Whereas in a film you have usually about an hour and a half to two hours to tell the story. So adapting books, and especially a book series, is very difficult because you have to find the places to cut out what in a film will be useless information or a boring scene. Because there are some things in a book, when you read them, it's different because you are reading, it's almost like playing a video game in the sense that you're interacting with the medium, so you are almost placing yourself in the eyes of the protagonist, in the shoes of the protagonist. So even in scenes that are just two people, you know, people sitting across from a table talking to each other and about nothing particularly exciting, feel more exciting and more grandiose because it's, you know, it's you or it is a self-insert of you in a sense or a character that you relate to in a book. So it's a very difficult medium to adapt. It's a very difficult thing recipe to get just right when you're taking a book series and one of the best examples of it is always going to be is always harry potter um i think harry potter no matter how you feel about jk rowling is a wonderful example of how to take a book cut out a lot of the meaningless pitter patter within the book because there is that's one thing like everyone always talks about how well written they are the harry potter books are a great story but god they're boring sometimes and all the filmmakers and all the harry potter movies did a great job of kind of cutting to the meat and bone of the story of harry potter and i think that's a great example and a bad example of an adaptation from a book i mean there's quite a few is like uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children or Artemis Fowl. There you go. Artemis Fowl is a Disney Channel Plus movie and I've never seen it but I've read all the books. The Artemis Fowl books are peak child fiction and you know Chef's Kiss child fiction and it is a there's a book about a boy genius who like spends his time outsmarting like fairy kind like fairies and trolls and stuff like that but it's a very established universe like they have cities and like police forces and like all this stuff and it is it uh, it builds a whole world that this evil child genius gets to interact with and the movie looked just like hot hot garbage and i couldn't bring myself to even watch it that's how i know a movie's going to be bad if i can't bring myself to even watch your movie if i can't bring myself to even give your movie a chance then i have issues and you know there are just to me it looks like they adapted the they all it's almost like they skeleton took, took the skeleton of artemis fowl and shoved it into something else and 
that's the worst thing you can do with books. But another medium I think is really hard to adapt is video games. There are so many bad video game adaptations. Like, what is the best video game movie, even? Mortal Kombat? Which is terrifying, because I haven't seen the new Mortal Kombat. My fiancé has, and she says it's really, really good, and that I'd probably really like it. But, like, the old one, to me, has always been the best video game movie. And that's sad, because the, the old Mortal Kombat movie isn't great. <laughs> It's just it's 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 all right. It's not great. It's not terrible. But it's all right. You know? It's all right. And I say that as someone who loves cheesy B movies. Like I'm a big cheesy B movie guy. Oh, Oh, Mr. Um, me, Mr. Old Kyle Ritchie is a big, you can ask my, my fiance, big cheesy movie guy, big old, like, B-movie, love the Friday the 13th movies, love everything about them type thing. It's a, ah. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I, I just, I love the cheese. I love the nonsense. And even I say Mortal Kombat is one of those movies that even I can pretty openly admit is a little too cheesy even for my liking. And I still think it's the best, one of the best video game movies ever made because video game movies are just... Ooh, so bad. Uh, first off, all of the original Resident Evil movies are. They range from okay to horrifically awful. And that is unpleasant. I think my favorite one's probably Extinction, but that's because... I don't know, I've always liked the post-apocalyptic zombie aesthetic, and that's, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a consumerist little dork, but that's always been my thing, so, for me, it'll be Extinction, but even then, like, the new series, I only watched a little bit of, and the movies, I'm not a huge fan of, but... I mean, everything else I can think of is tragic. The Halo series, like I said, is an affront to God. And everyone who ever loved Halo, it's just a it's just a a, a personal insult, it almost feels like. Like it feels like Paramount did this just to tell us to please shut the fuck up about the dork dude in the helmet, you nerds. But you know, whatever. And I don't know. There's just so many bad video game movies. There's so many bad movies based on video games. Like, like Pixels wasn't great. I don't, but I, but I don't. I give it more of a pass because it's a comedy. Mm. It's just, it's difficult. And and part of that is because I think 
video games aren't taken seriously as a medium by most people in entertainment, which is a, a different, a, a, it could be it's a podcast topic all of its own, is the disrespect shown to video games. But, you know, but video games just seem like such a hard medium to adapt, even harder maybe than books, because it really is you. Like, you really are playing the game, you know? Like, when you play a video game, that's you, dog. That's you up in there. That's how you feel, at least. You're like, that's me. That's me doing all that. And even if it's not you, you feel so deeply invested in the character. Like, even if it's a game where you don't even get, you if you have, like, for those who don't play video games and listen to my show, there are video games where you can, the choices you make will defy the story as you continue on later on. And even if it's not one of those video games, even if it's a game where you have character who is going to be, you know, it's a character, it's not you, just to like, you know, like Arthur Morgan, like I I played a game not too long ago called Red Dead Redemption 2 where I got to play a cowboy, baby. And um, even though it wasn't me, it felt like me. Like it felt like I was Arthur Morgan, badass rebel cowboy. And I think that's such a hard emotion to replicate by the way a video game that would make a great series to be adapted or a great movie to be adapted is red dead redemption 2 but moving on (laughs) you know you feel like these characters you feel like master chief you feel like you're in call of duty you feel like doom guy you feel like mario and mario like you you just you are these characters you feel like joel in the last of us you become these people for such long periods of time Geralt of rivier another well that's a actually a pretty good video game and book adaptation for those who don't know that's that falls into both categories here the witcher you know but you just you become these characters and I feel like it's such a hard thing to replicate. Like one thing everyone talks about is getting Cal Kestis, who is the newest character in the Star Wars video games, the Star Wars Fallen Order video games, into these these Mar these these um Disney Plus series. And and I'm fine with that because the play, you know, actor obviously who plays Cal Kestis is a real actor in real life and you can just cast him to play the character on the fucking big screen but it's you know i mean it almost feels like you're not going to be able to relate to cal as much because you're not him you know you just you relate to these characters in video games in a way that you don't relate to someone on screen because you you play as these characters you make their decisions you keep them alive or you make them die i feel like that's so hard to adapt but uh some uh, some good adaptations that I think you guys could check out. Uh, but some adaptations you guys should check out are the good adaptations are like The Hunger Games, The Witcher, uh, The Last of Us was amazing. Um, I guess we could put comic book adaptations. Obviously, all most of the not all most of the MCU is pretty good. Um, the Batman is probably the most accurate adaptation of batman comic books i've ever seen there's a lot of good adaptations like let me just here we'll look we'll we'll look up good film to book adaptations because i'm not gonna look up good movie video game adaptations because as a video game nerd i already know that there aren't a lot of good film adaptations 
of video games, okay? But The Shining, It, uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously, is a great, one of the best. The Jungle Book. Jaws, I think, I think people forget often as a book. Jurassic Park is a book. Dracula. I mean, there's a lot of great adaptations out there that you guys really need to check out. I think you would have a really good time with. Um, there's a lot of bad adaptations out there. <laughs> Some of the more famous ones are the, the animes. Like Dragon Ball Z is historically bad. So is Avatar, The Last Airbender which they're actually redoing, so we're going to get to see another adaptation of that, shockingly enough. But I don't like the adaptation of The Great Gatsby, but some people love it. Here, let's look for the worst adaptations. Yes, Percy Jackson and the Olympians was uh, not great. Twilight has been often referred to as a bad adaptation. I've never read the Twilight book, so I can't be a judge if they're good adaptations. That's completely for you guys to decide. I, I ask all the Twilight fans in my life, and there are many. You know, my wife is a Twilighter, or my, my fiancé, my future wife is someone who read the Twilight books. My... I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I might be wrong about that. I might be thinking of my mother. My mother is for sure the Twilight person. But I love the movies. But I love the movies because they're cheesy, stupid goodness. They are so dumb and so awful. And I don't even know that they're so – they're awful. They're just – they're a fun time to me. I have a blast watching them. Uh but people argue that those are bad adaptations, that the the books have a lot more nuance and kind of structure and gravitas to them than the 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 movies do. Oh my god, Aragon. Woo! What a stinky turd. What a stinky fucking turd this was. Uh this movie is based on a great series of books uh, called The Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Polanyi. Uh, Aragon is on, was on the heels of like the Harry Potter movies and Lord of the Rings. So it was basically they were trying to get in on that fantasy movie rush. And oh boy was this stinky. This was a bad, bad, bad movie. And I'm sorry for anyone who watched it. Me included. Because it was... Even as a young child, it came out in 06, so I was a young boy. Even as a young boy, I knew. I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> um, I would say Divergent, but I've never read the books, so I don't know if maybe the books are also awful. But that is a bad, those are bad movies. I don't care what anyone says. I will, I, I stand by that. I stand by that 100%. Those movies... Those movies are trying to just – those movies are just edgy Hunger Games, which I don't know how that could even be possible, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just edgy Hunger Games. It's hard to watch. It's hard to take in. It's a, it's a whole fucking thing. 
The Giver, which got a 35%, which is The Giver is a movie I've seen. I saw this movie. It's dog shit. But <laughs> I've seen the movie and read the book. And it is the book is is an emotional roller coaster. The whole theme of like um no, the whole theme of, you know, like trying to stand out in a society built on conformity is beautiful. And the the whole story of the giver kind of teaching this kid slowly I'm sorry there's a preview for the last of us on my t- on my computer screen and I'm distracted by Joel and Ellie once again 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 that's right play the last of us ladies and gentlemen I just gotta pitch that real quick if you have not played the video game the last of us and, and, and you watch the series play the video game or if you're you know not a gamer find the resident gamer in your life make them play the video game in front of you because The Last of Us is pure magic. I'm going to close this ad now because I have ADHD brain and I won't be able to stop. But these are some of the worst. The Giver is a... But the, the movie, The Giver, just kind of feels like a mess. It feels like they try to get too much going at once. You know what I mean? There's a lot of visuals that are crazy. And, but it's because, but they don't, they don't back anything emotional in this show, in the, in, in the, the movie, which is crazy because the show or not the show, the, the book is like an emotional thrill ride and there's Percy Jackson and the Olympians, which my brother was so deathly disappointed about. You know, because he is a giant Percy Jackson fan. And even though he is in love with Alexandria Daddario to this very day, to this day, in the words of Deontay Wilder, he says these are a complete and utter unfaithful adaptation of one of his favorite book series that they needed to be actual kids. It made more sense if they were actual children and the books were just way, way better. So I'll take his word on it. Because uh, even at Rotten Tomatoes has it like 42%. And then there's The Great Gatsby at 48%. It's a classical romance story and is considered one of the greatest novels ever written. The The book has been adapted into a movie four times, most recently in 2013. It received unfavorable reviews despite attaching great actors like Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire. Um... It's a beautiful movie, but it doesn't I, I would assume it does I've never seen I've never read the book. It's a beautiful movie and it's a beautiful performance by um Leo. But it's uh not great. Not a great movie, I would say. It's a uh, interesting thing. But there you go. Some good adaptations, some bad adaptations. My final thoughts here. When you're adapting something, when you are taking someone else's work, someone else's baby, and making it a movie, making it a TV show, just do it with love and affection. You know, even if you're not a fan personally, treat it like you were a fan. And I think 
if all creators would treat these properties, these properties that we as fans care so much about with the same love and respect and adoration that we do, I think even the mistakes they made would be forgiven because in my experience, when it's clear something is made with love and care and effort and desire, it is appreciated and respected and just more acknowledged than the ones that are clear cash grabs in the movies and adaptations that are made just to cash in on a popular property. I think if you're going to make something, especially something that carries serious cultural relevance or serious fan expectation, do it with care, do it with love, and do it with the same dedication that any one of us out here who read or played or watch these things to escape our regular mundane lives, do it with the same dedication that we would. That's all I think as fan bases we can ask for, right? And those are my final thoughts on our, you know, big topic of the week. Let's do some would you rather questions, ladies and gentlemen. Let's, let's, let's have some fun, as they say. Would you rather find true love today or win the lottery next year? Well, I've already found true love. So win the lottery, 100%. Uh, I would rather win the lottery next year, 1,000%. I have true love. I just need the money. Imagine the production value on my podcast and my YouTube videos, guys. That would come. Uh, would you rather be in jail for five years or in a coma for a decade? Hmm. Be in jail, not nah, being in the coma. Jail seems so scary. What kind of jail? I need this needs parameters. I'm gonna say jail for now because I could do like. Like low level jail. That's just like, that just sucks, but I don't want to be in a coma. That sounds awful. Would I rather be chronically under or chronically overdressed? Ooh, this is tough. Because, like, you think under until you have to go to like a funeral or something or a wedding. Then you're like, oh, fuck. I'm a I'm a extra bitch, so probably overdressed. I think if I, I think that I would probably be able to live with that more than being underdressed somewhere. Um. So. Yeah, overdressed for sure. I just would hate to like end up wearing sweatpants at a funeral at somebody's funeral or something. You know. Would you rather have a personal maid or a personal chef? I think I answered this. That I don't mind cleaning, so I'd rather have the personal chef. Lounge by the pool or on the beach? I am a beach guy. I spent the first formative years of my life in the beautiful beaches of South Carolina, and I have never grown accustomed to the cold here in Indiana. I am a beach guy for life. 
Uh, for sure going beach here. Is that what's messing up the audio? We'll see, I guess. But yeah, I'm a beach guy. I'm uh, I'm definitely going to go beaches here over the pool. I'll always love and miss the beach. Like it's a lost lover. Uh, would you rather always be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early? 20 minutes early. I'm 10 minutes late to everything. It drives my fiance insane. Um, it drives most of the people who know me insane. I've never been early to a thing in my life. And to be 20 minutes early to stuff for a while, for just a while, I think would spend such a genuine shock through all those I know and love that it would just be worth it. It would be worth it to see the surprise on their faces as I showed up completely ready to tackle whatever tasks they had prepared for me in the 20 minutes we had before I was supposed to arrive. So yeah, I'd rather be 20 minutes early. And I don't have an am I wrong this week. I couldn't come up with one. But I have a new segment for you guys. The first team all dime piece makes its return. Now obviously it's only going to be my team because there's no guest here this week but i'll give you my five best movie film adaptations that i've seen in a long time number one the last of us uh this was flawless i mean i i see people complaining about it and they're you know the only complaint i could really have is the pacing at times but this was the perfect adaptation it was the perfect medium with which to tell this story and it was the perfect it was perfectly done by hbo and it was perfectly done by neil Druckmann. it was perfectly done by everyone involved pedro pascal is my daddy your daddy everyone's daddy and bella ramsey has reignited my flame to have female children so can't say any more uh watchman watchman is one of the most dedicated loving pieces of living art that i've ever seen um rorschach is one of my favorite comic book characters ever and he is so faithfully adapted here so i'll always love this movie but everything in this movie is kind of adapted very well dr manhattan is presented in a way that i think is perfect i mean he looks just like he fucking did in the comic books and he's just he acts just like he did the whole thing you can tell was taken with such wonderful care and you have to give respect to i believe i want to say Zack snyder that would be crazy i want to say it was directed by am i wrong i'm probably wrong there Nope, I'm right. Directed by Zack Snyder. Look at me. Uh, see, everyone comes at me because I hate on the Snyderverse. Everyone everyone who yells at me because I don't like the Snyderverse. I don't dislike Zack Snyder. But I dislike the Snyderverse movies. Because The Watchmen's one of my favorite adaptations of anything ever. The movie is so good. It is so fun. It is so perfect. It is everything you, you would could possibly want out of a Watchmen adaptation. And Patrick Wilson kills it. Jeffrey Dean Morgan kills it. 
for as little as he's in it. And, uh, I mean, everyone's just... Everyone is perfect in this movie. Everyone is perfectly cast, and everyone is perfectly played. Alan Moore, obviously, uh, was involved in the creation of this, but he remained... He chose to remain uncredited because he's a saint. And... (laughs) And so I just I got I, there's not enough I can say. I love The Watchmen, one of my favorite adaptations ever. The Hunger Games. This was a a movie series I was really into younger, and I loved the books. I still love the books. The books are significantly more brutal. I mean, in the books, people are getting fucked up, and in the the, the movies, it's a little toned down. It's a little pushed back now i understand why because these are children killing each other in the movies and the books it's super gruesome i mean these these kids fuck each other up especially the first book the first book is nightmare fuel when you really think about it like on a second read i haven't read them in a while but i read them in my 20s after reading them in my early teens and it was way more disturbing in my early 20s but uh the movies are very 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 good they're very well adapted they cut out parts of the book that i think are kind of unnecessary and would slow things down in a major motion picture jennifer lawrence i was skeptical of when she was first cast because i thought she was too pretty to play katniss but she did an excellent job um as much as i dislike him liam hemsworth is actually a pretty good gail casting and i have nothing but good things to say about the hunger games it is the the dialogue is a little cliche and there's a lot of kind of hokey things in it but it is overall one of the better adaptations i've seen and it was super popular for a reason and then obviously we have to go with harry potter i don't know i mean come on it's literally the most famous popular book adaptation on earth and the movies are what made harry potter for a time the most popular how i put this the most popular entertainment property the most the most popular property in the world the most i mean the most profitable popular thing you could own was the harry potter brand and for a time being and that was because of these movies and that was because these movies were adapted so perfectly they cut out a lot of unnecessary fucking nonsense from the books that didn't need to be in there the books are super good i'm not saying that but there's a lot in the books going there's always a lot going on in the books and there's a lot of I haven't read them in forever, but I from the last time I read them, what I remember about them is they're very very crowded. There, it's a very crowded book series with a lot going on and a lot of unnecessary dialogue. And the filmmakers, as I mentioned before, in all the Harry Potter movies, did an excellent job of trimming that down and making these movies very digestible and making them digestible to a large stream audience. Guess what? It took the fuck off. People, Harry Potter is the only brand even remotely close to what Star Wars does. 
And they eclipsed them at one point. They eclipsed them. Now, I would argue Star Wars, even if you would argue that their movies haven't been as good, Star Wars is back in the public eye. Ever since the Disney purchase, Star Wars has be- has once again become the most popular film slash entertainment franchise. But it's close, man. It's fucking close. Harry Potter is is nuts. Harry, the 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 fucking popularity, and that all stems from the from Warner Brothers. Ta- just just digging into their fucking pockets and adapting this silly children's book series that everyone read, and adapting this children's book that's silly this children's book series that everyone read about this fucking wizard who lived in a cupboard, and it made them billions. And let me say it again. And billions of dollars. Um, but that's getting our show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, you can find us on social media at The Planet Comedy on Facebook, at The Planet Comedy again on Instagram. The PCP Gang on Twitter. We're trying to get more consistent with our social media presence, I promise, because I know it's a big part of promoting here. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at Planet Comedy on YouTube. We do movie and television reviews. Those are coming soon. You can find the Megan review for the movie Megan either up already or coming soon. The same with The Last of Us Season 1 and You Season 4. Those are all coming up real soon. I'm going to do some some fanfic slash rewrite videos where I take movies that haven't come out yet and tell you how I would write them. Or I take movies that have already come out and tell you how I would have made them because I'm a smartass. And Visions 2020 and Hindsight's 2020. Um, I'm going to try to do some live watch-alongs with you guys, watch some movies with you. Uh, You can find us here at the Planet Comedy Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon, Google, Pandora, pretty much anywhere you get audio content check out the other planet comedy productions average dose college football show a college football podcast made for fans by fans pretty primal a relationship podcast hosted by my good friend jasmine McHugh, and discovery or diversity sorry diversity in life a self-discovery and therapeutic life podcast hosted by my good friend devin ray stidham and uh of course there's going to be like i said some new planet comedy content megan the U Season 4, The Last of Us Season 1 reviews coming out. They might be out now by the time you guys hear this. Uh, probably be out soon. Reviews are going to be a big thing here. And uh, we're just, I'm just going to try to get more content for you guys really, really soon. One thing I want to get on is Twitch. As you guys probably really heard in this podcast, I'm a lifelong video game fan. Uh, in fact, next week's... I'm debating what next week's topic is going to be. Next week's topic might be what well, it might be about video games, but um, I haven't had time. I have a Twitch account, Stoplight Jesus. I just haven't had time to stream. I'm, ne- you know, I have, you know, two ten-year-olds that I hang out with all the time now, and um, a fiance and responsibilities and stuff. So I want to change that. I want to make more content, and also I just want to find an excuse to play video games again. But I, I feel like we would have I would have a lot of fun playing video games, and I think you guys would have a lot of fun with a stream of video games because me and my friends are pretty ridiculous video game players. So uh, I'm gonna get you guys a streaming schedule there really, really soon, as soon as I can figure it out. But thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much for supporting me. I'll see you guys next week. Peace, love, and joy.